When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. On April 7, 2016, the team running NASA's New Horizons mission were waiting nervously. The spacecraft was about to enter the outermost reaches of our solar system. They'd aimed toward Pluto, which lives in a region of the solar system called the Kuiper Belt. Just before arriving at the dwarf planet, the team noticed an object nearby, and it was acting very strange. This object, whatever it was, was spinning faster than everything else around it. Too fast. Artificially fast. New Horizons changed course to do a flyby. They wanted a better look at this bizarre behavior. But as the spacecraft approached the object, all communications went down. NASA wasn't able to see or hear anything. Something or someone was blocking the signal. Whoever it was did not want NASA to know they were there and that they've been watching us for a very long time. The Kuiper Belt is a donut-shaped region of space way out on the far end of the solar system. And it is a huge region of space. Its inner edge begins at the orbit of Neptune at about 30 AU from the Sun. Now, one AU, or astronomical unit, is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. So the inner edge of the Kuiper Belt is about 2.8 billion miles from the Sun. Then it extends for about another 4.5 billion miles. Now, beyond the Kuiper Belt is a structure called the Oort Cloud, and that place is way farther, much bigger, and really strange. We'll cover the Oort Cloud in another episode. Now, the existence of the Kuiper Belt was first hypothesized in 1943 by Irish astronomer Kenneth Edgeworth. He felt there was a reservoir of comets and asteroids residing in the solar system beyond the planets. Edgeworth was right, and the Kuiper Belt was finally visually confirmed in 1992. David Jewitt and grad student Jane Liu discovered the first Kuiper Belt objects, or KBOs. Now, KBOs are the various comets, dwarf planets, asteroids, and other icy bodies that make up the Kuiper Belt. Jewitt and Liu named their discovery as a tribute to Gerard Kuiper, who's considered to be the father of planetary science. Before he proposed the concept of the Kuiper Belt in 1951, he'd already discovered the moons of Neptune. You did he look at Uranus. Uh, are we going to do this every time? What? I just want to know if this scientist was interested in Uranus. He was. Yeah. He's the one who discovered its moons. Yeah. If you look close enough, you'll see plenty of stuff around Uranus. Okay. Hey, ladies, if a man is willing to give you the moon and the stars, the least you could do is give him Uranus. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> We've been aware of the Kuiper Belt for a long time, but didn't realize it. Pluto is actually a KBO, and one of the largest of the dwarf planets at 1,500 miles. It even has its own moons, which is probably why astronomers called it a planet for so long. In the more than 30 years since its discovery, the Kuiper Belt is still a mystery. The Kuiper Belt is truly a frontier in space. It's a place we're still just beginning to explore, and our understanding is still evolving. 
Along with countless comets and asteroids, the Kuiper Belt is home to at least seven dwarf planets, most of which are roughly 600 to 900 miles in diameter. Eris, discovered in 2005, is the most massive object found so far, and new KBOs are discovered all the time. Now, most of the objects found in the Kuiper Belt are easy to explain. They're easy to identify and they're easy to track. But there are things in the Kuiper Belt that don't act like science says they should. They are unpredictable. They're unnatural. And some would say they seem almost intentional. These Kuiper Belt objects challenge our understanding of the solar system and whether we're the only ones here. On May 12, 1994, Michael Irwin and Anna Zhitkov were working late. Yeah, Anna Zhitkov? Anna Zhitkov. What'd I say? They were the on-duty astronomers at the Roca de los Muchachos Observatory in the Canary Islands. It was a quiet night like any other night. And then they spotted something. It glowed and then dimmed. It glowed and then dimmed. This was different than any other object around it. It glowed and dimmed in a regular rhythm every five and a half hours, which by space standards is fast, insanely fast, too fast. So fast, the centrifugal force should rip a regular KBO apart. Most Kuiper Belt objects are bits of dust and ice. They shatter like glass. Anna and Michael had never seen anything like this. According to science, this object shouldn't even exist. This gave the astronomers an ominous feeling. Current technology didn't allow them to get a good enough look to fully identify it. So they named it after the Welsh god of the underworld, Arau. 23 years later, technology caught up. We were finally able to get close enough for a look. In April 2016, NASA's New Horizons mission reached the Kuiper Belt. Next stop, Arau. It was on the way to Pluto, the perfect flyby opportunity to answer a decades-old question. What the heck is this crazy spinning object at the end of the solar system? But just as New Horizons moved in for the close-up, things went dark. Nothing worked. There had been what's called a CPU safing event that put New Horizons into safe mode. Safe mode shuts down all essential systems and is triggered automatically when the spacecraft detects something unusual. But the team was stumped. After a few hours of the craft running in safe mode, one NASA engineer approached his supervisor with a terrifying idea. The engineer looked around as if to reveal a secret and then quietly said, it seems like someone is jamming the signal. As if they were aware of our presence and didn't want us to see what they were doing. And the way Adown spun, that insanely fast five and a half hour rotation, no one had figured that out yet in over 20 years since first seeing it. And those who tried to understand the spin agreed. Aran's movements seemed artificial. It was creating its own gravity within the interior of the object. Now the concept of spin gravity wasn't new to NASA. NASA started experimenting with artificial gravity in the 1960s. Experts have developed ideas for space stations filled with small towns and farms and parks. The space station could be designed as a giant spinning cylinder. Each of these structures could rotate to create artificial gravity along the inner surface. We've seen this concept in science fiction over and over again. But science fiction is about as far as these ideas have gotten. Test results on artificial gravity are always the same. Humans are not well suited to it. 
when exposed to artificial gravity, we're subjected to what's known as Coriolis force deviation. This causes motions going in a straight line to bend, often quite a lot. Coriolis causes motion sickness and all sorts of other dysfunctions. Humans living in artificial gravity do not do well. Basically, we puke and die. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that vomit on a space station is a problem. But Adam was spinning in a way that seemed like someone was controlling it. And if there is someone controlling the object, they don't want to be seen. And of all the places in the solar system, the Kuiper Belt is the best place to hide. The Kuiper Belt is 30 to 50 times farther away from the sun than we are. At that distance, things get really dark. Also, the Kuiper Belt is littered with random, oddly shaped objects. It wouldn't be hard to hide amongst the mess. These were the kinds of questions being asked when New Horizons went dark. Now, after a while, the spacecraft drifted away from around. Suddenly, New Horizons came back to life, booted up, and the journey into the Kuiper Belt continued as planned. But what just happened? And how did it happen? But before these questions could be answered, someone realized Aram wasn't alone in its odd behavior. New Horizons was surrounded by KBOs acting strangely. It was like something was bending the laws of physics. And the deeper New Horizons moved into the darkness, the more they realized they weren't alone. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. According to the Nemesis Theory, we live in a two-star or binary solar system. Our sun, the only star we can see, has a companion star, a brown dwarf residing deep in the Kuiper Belt. Brown dwarfs are actually called failed stars. They're huge objects, about 80 times the size of Jupiter, but they don't have enough mass to ignite their hydrogen cores, so they don't burn, they don't shine. But in the depths of the Kuiper Belt, a brown dwarf would be invisible. This object is known as Planet X, or Planet 9. Or Nibiru. Right, some people think Planet X is Nibiru, home of the Anunnaki. Still waiting on that Anunnaki episode, Chief. I'm working on it. Planet X lies well beyond Pluto, extremely far away. But this enormous object is still close enough to influence the orbits of the outer planets in our solar system and everything else in the Kuiper Belt. Now, it sounds like science fiction, but it's not. NASA has been actively searching for Planet X for decades. Now, if it's out there, it would explain why some Kuiper Belt objects act so weird. But Planet X doesn't explain all KBOs. Along with around, there are a few KBOs that make no sense at all. Meet KBO 2008-KV42, a comet within the Kuiper Belt. KV42 is nicknamed Drac, after Dracula, as vampires have the ability to walk on walls. Uh, so this comet walks on walls? Sorta, yeah. 
Everything in the solar system moves around the sun in the same direction. This is called prograde orbit. And if you look at the orbits of all the objects from the side, they're basically on the same flat plane. This is called the plane of the ecliptic. So you remember how Dracula can walk on walls? That's what Drac is doing with its orbit. Drac moves in total retrograde, in the opposite direction of everything else. And it ignores the plane of the ecliptic. It's just out there doing its own thing. And Drac ain't small. This comet is 30 miles across. If it hit Earth, it would cause an extinction-level event. Actually, Drac could destroy the Earth entirely. Now, thankfully, Drac's orbit is about twice as far as Neptune. But we're still keeping an eye on it. Now, new photos of the outer bands of the Kuiper Belt are coming out all the time thanks to the James Webb Space Telescope. But what we're told and what we're shown is incredibly controlled. On this channel, we've proven that NASA alters images before releasing them to the public. We've talked about plenty of NASA's bizarre comments and outright lies. Then every so often, we're teased with headlines about potentially science-changing discoveries. Bizarre object 10 million times brighter than the sun defies physics, NASA says. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope may have found early galaxies that shouldn't be there. Webb Telescope spots strange objects in the Orion Nebula. They aren't planets or stars. And according to the astronomers who found them, they shouldn't exist. Strange circles seen in space baffle scientists. Even though these are all legitimate news reports covering official NASA press releases, they're meaningless clickbait. When the press asks for specific data on their investigations, NASA spits out overly scientific jargon. None of it means anything. But despite all these efforts to suppress information, there are a few brave people coming forward with very interesting new information. These people know a lot about the Kuiper Belt. How do they know so much? Well, because they were there. Rebecca Rose was only four years old the first time it happened. She woke up from a deep sleep with a sense she wasn't alone. She tried to move, to cry out. She couldn't. She was paralyzed. Several strangers were in her bedroom. They hovered silently over her bed, but she couldn't make out their faces. Then there was a flash of blinding bright light and the rush of cold air. For a brief moment, Rebecca felt weightless. When her eyes adjusted, she realized she wasn't in her room anymore. She tried to move, but she was still paralyzed and now strapped to a metal table. The room was sterile and metallic, with strange equipment hanging on the walls. The air was warm, humid, and thick with a pungent medicinal smell. She spotted a figure in the corner, one of the strangers, the tall one, she called him. Though his mouth didn't move, she heard him say, you are in no danger, we just want you to play. Rebecca was confused. Then the stranger gestured to a small table on the other side of the room. There were books, puzzles, and all kinds of games. Some games tested logic, some tested math, some tested visual comprehension and memory. For what felt like hours, Rebecca solved what puzzles she could. Then the stranger approached, smiled at her, and everything once again went white. Rebecca opened her eyes and saw she was back in bed and just in time for school. As far as she knew, she was unharmed, except for a persistent nosebleed. Rebecca went to school like any other day. The memories of her experience faded quickly, like when you lose the details of a dream. So by the time Rebecca was being tucked into bed that night, 
she barely remembered anything at all. She peacefully drifted off to sleep, but soon she'd realize this was only the beginning. The strangers kept coming back, night after night, and Rebecca would take tests and solve puzzles, night after night. As these experiences became more routine and as she got older, Rebecca was able to learn more about what was happening to her. First, her playroom, or whatever you'd call it, is on a base on the moon. From her window, she could see a sprawling complex of buildings built into the familiar white cratered landscape. And eventually Rebecca realized the strangers weren't human. She was being abducted by aliens, aliens of many different races. She saw mantids who resembled large praying mantises. She mostly saw aliens that we would call greys. During one of her sessions, the greys activated Rebecca's psychic abilities. All humans have this gift, but very few of us have access to it. The puzzles and tests Rebecca had been taking over the years were actually a psychic training program to teach Rebecca how to access and control her psychic abilities. Once Rebecca became skilled in telepathy, she was forced to telepathically interface with beings who were being held captive on the base. Some of the beings looked human, others didn't, but she was able to feel that they were all sentient and aware of what was happening to them, and she could sense they were all terrified. Through the telepathic interface, Rebecca extracted DNA samples for what purpose she didn't know and she didn't ask. After four years of intense training, Rebecca was summoned to a meeting. She saw mantids and greys, but she also saw men dressed in military uniforms. They sat her down and said, Rebecca, your training is over. You're ready. Rebecca asked, ready for what? They finally told her why she'd been visiting the moon base for the last four years and why she was taken from her family, why she had to interface with alien species and why she was taught to develop her psychic powers. They said, Rebecca, you're joining the Dark Fleet. After her training, nine-year-old Rebecca Rose was taken from her home for the last time. She was brought to the Great Lakes Naval Station and put through trauma-based mind control programming. This was done using techniques perfected in the CIA's MKUltra project. Next, she's strapped to a seat and sent through a jump gate. Jump gates are portals that can transport people and objects across huge distances instantly. Rebecca would now begin her 20-year mission. And so she jumped. For the next few years, Rebecca spent most of her time on air patrol. The Mars Defense Force used retrofitted helicopters to protect the area around the Dark Fleet base on Mars. Protect the base from what? Indigenous Martian life, like the mantids and reptilians. Lizard Martians? Yep. Primary mission was to protect the base, but if she could capture an alien to acquire its technology, that would be even better. Oh, it's very hard to snatch a lizard Martian. Uh, They're crafty. Well, that may be true, but Rebecca was given cybernetic enhancements to turn her into a super soldier. Enhancements focused on optimizing physiology, enhancing psychic abilities, increasing durability and combat effectiveness. She also had advanced armor and weapon systems directly integrated with her body 
and her cybernetic technology. This is one tough run. She was. Because of her cybernetic systems and enhanced abilities, Rebecca was an extremely valuable asset to the Mars Defense Force. Maybe too valuable. Wait, 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 what do you mean? Toward the end of her 20-year tour, Rebecca was sold to the Draconians. Not the Draco! Beyond the Kuiper Belt is Planet X, the Brown Dwarf, and Planet X is ruled by the Draconians. Ah! The Draconians are a powerful reptilian species. They're the most ancient race in the solar system. They control large bases and ships throughout and beyond the Kuiper Belt. And the Draconians are to be feared. First of all, they're intimidating to look at. Most Draco are over 20 feet tall with wings. They have the ability to paralyze people just by looking at them. Here's how another soldier described one. Without any warning whatsoever, we were all paralyzed. No one could even talk. I was instantly nauseated, wanting to both throw up and crap all at once. It felt very violating what was unfolding. I didn't get any of it, and even more disturbing, it was all mental. I heard a voice inside of my head, a very loud, deep voice, frightening as hell. Up until that point, all of my telepathic encounters were of a normal exchange. Felt much like the volume and intensity of my own thoughts. This was anything but. But the biggest reason to fear the Draco is technology. They've mastered advanced holographic technology, psychic manipulation, and portal tech far beyond anything humans have. So Rebecca was sold to the Draco as part of a diplomatic trade package. Basically, take our best soldiers and please don't kill us. Draconians use their advanced technology and psychic powers to dominate worlds through fear and force. They had built an empire as slave traders, and Planet X is their homeworld. If the Draco demand a few human soldiers is tribute, you have no choice but to comply. So Rebecca was put to work as a patrol pilot once again, but this time she was protecting a large ship that was orbiting Planet X. Her time serving the Draco was very traumatizing. She was forced to kill non-threatening beings. Her life was brutal, but she had her training and she had her cybernetic enhancements to keep her going. But there was light at the end of the tunnel for Rebecca. Her 20-year commitment was about to end. There was a roar in her ears, a flash of bright light, and the familiar feeling of weightlessness. Then, silence. Then Rebecca heard birds outside, children playing. She was back home. And not just back home on Earth, she was back in her nine-year-old body. All the memories of her last 20 years started to vanish. Was this all a dream? Nope. The memories were real. They were fading because the Dark Fleet was wiping her brain. But in 2012, at age 40, Rebecca suffered a freak accident, and then all the memories came rushing back. But she wasn't alone in her experience. Many other people have come forward, all describing similar childhood experiences. The abduction, the training, the deployment to various bases, and the 20-year commitment. The whistleblowers call the program 20 and Back. These children are forced into a slave-like warrior state. They're genetically engineered over their entire lives. They endure physical and psychological abuse that we can't imagine, and suffer in ways that would cause most people to break. All this suffering for a 20-year space program, or a dark fleet controlled by the US Navy, but ultimately to serve the Galactic Federation. Scientists still don't know why the New Horizons spacecraft shut down when it approached it down in the Kuiper Belt. 
But the survivors of the 20 and back program, they know why. Humans are not allowed out that far. The human race is permitted to travel to the edge of the Kuiper Belt, but no farther. The entire solar system may belong to us, but everything else, it belongs to the Draco. There are many people who claim to be veterans of the 20 and back Space Force program. It's a complex topic and deserves its own episode. So if you'd like to see that, let me know. But I will cover this in more detail on the podcast. So is the 20 and back story or the Dark Fleet true? Probably not. Almost definitely not. It's hard to know for sure where the story started because there's a lot of drama around it. Most people believe it started with Corey Good. Between the age of 16 and 17 years old, I was transported to the moon. And after 20 years, I was age regressed back in time and then returned to civilian life. He came on the scene around 2010 with the story of being recruited as a child into a secret space program. He made a big splash with the story and gained a large following. But he admits that some of the story is real and some is made up. What does it matter if it's real or not? I'm asking you whether it was dramatization or was it real? It's um, a real part of my dream or delusion, of whatever you want to call it. I created, created all of this. But which memories are real and which are not? He doesn't know. Some of these memories could be real or they could be creation. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. If he can't tell which memories are real, then, then how are we supposed to know if any of this is true? Hey, uh, by the way, that doesn't look like an interview. Uh, it's sort of an interview. He's being deposed by an attorney. Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, Corey is suing people claiming that he owns the story about 20 and back and the secret space program. Uh, hey, if the story's true, how can you sue people over it? Like I said, the 20 and back is my creation. It's a part of my intellectual property. Uh, me creating it means it came out of me and that it is my story and it was never anywhere before. But it's possible Corey Good didn't invent the story at all. Michael Relfi published a series of books called The Mars Records in the year 2000, long before Corey Good showed up. And Relfi talks about child recruitment, psychic training, age regression, reptilians, and a lot of the same things in the 20 and back story. And you might remember Al Bielik from a few of our other episodes. He also talked about age regression and being sent back in time for a mission. As after I jumped off the Eldridge and went to the year 2137. Well, I thought you went to the year 1983, though. That was the last stop. But Corey says the story is his, and he's very protective of his intellectual property, especially the secret space program. He even tried to trademark that. Why couldn't someone else talk about their experience in a secret space program? As long as they don't talk about the stuff that I created based on my real, my, my real IP here, I, in it, it says, I created a lot of the stuff. I created um, uh, Dark Fleet. Dark Fleet didn't exist before I talked about it. And look, if you invented the story, by all means, trademark it. People will come in and they will say, oh, okay, I was in the Secret Space Program too, and all of these things that Corey has talked about, I was a part of that too. Well, guess what? The stuff that I've talked about, some of it, created out of my mind. But Bill Cooper was on CNN in 1992, and he was talking about a secret space program. Uh, Pluto was the, uh, the application of that technology to our own secret space program, not the public space program. There are two different space programs. 
One is the, what the public gets to see, uh, which is uh, overseen by NASA, and the other one is a secret space program that nobody gets to see, which is really overseen by um, uh, the Navy Department uh, under under specialized, uh, uh, compartmentalized black projects. So lots of aspects of the story have been around for a long time. Here's how it seems to work. Every time someone new joins the 20 and back bandwagon, they bring their own favorite sci-fi storyline. Then each person's story evolves, feeding off the other. But who knows, maybe Corey Good is telling the truth. You can watch his deposition online and decide for yourself. True or not, it's a great story, TM. But aside from this one area, most of what we talked about within the Kuiper Belt is real, kinda. Now the object around is weird, and I'll be grateful to never say that word again after today. Now there are plenty of videos describing the comet and its behavior, but nobody has yet to explain it. And even though NASA did lose contact with New Horizons at one point in time, there's no official record of New Horizons breaking down while flying by Aran in 2016. NASA says the New Horizons mission was an overall success, so it's unclear where the story about the total control blackout came from. There was a brief loss of communication on July 4th, 2015, 10 days before New Horizons was due to fly by Pluto, but they were down for an hour. All the other details came from a YouTube video. Never trust what you hear in a YouTube video. Oh, that's for sure. Now, Planet X probably is real, though NASA prefers to call it Planet 9. I prefer to call it Nibiru. In 2017, researchers agreed that data and computer models prove with almost 100% certainty a large secret dark planet is lurking in the distant solar system. Although we were initially quite skeptical that this planet could exist, we've become increasingly convinced that it is out there. For the first time in over 150 years, there is solid evidence that the solar system's planetary census is incomplete. Drac is also real. I don't know if it has anything to do with the draconian species who allegedly control the solar system, but Drock does fly in retrograde. It's thought humans will one day turn the Kuiper Belt into a gas station, a stopping off point on our way to deep space. But for now, the Kuiper Belt is one giant mystery. Now my gut tells me there is something important going on up there, something which influences life here on Earth but there's no way to know for sure until we send spacecraft to the Kuiper Belt to see for ourselves. And maybe one day we'll do that. That is, if the Draco say it's okay. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. My name is AJ, that's Hecklefish. Yeah, governor. This has been The Y-Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do him a favor, like, subscribe, comment, share. That stuff really, really helps the channel. And like most topics we cover here, today's is recommended by you. So if there's a story you'd like to see or learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. Now, if you need more Y-Files in your life, because who doesn't, check out the Y-Files Discord. There's thousands of people on there 24-7, and there's always something fun going on. It's free to join, so check it out. And there's a lot more Y-Files on the podcast. Every week, I do deep dives into your favorite stories. So wherever you get your podcast, look for the Y-Files Operation Podcast. Now, special thanks to our patrons who make this whole thing possible. I dedicate everything to you, and I couldn't do it without you. Now, if you'd like to support the channel, consider becoming a member on Patreon. 
For as little as $3 a month, you get all kinds of perks like early access to videos without commercials, early access to products like the Talking Hecklefish plushie. You get two live streams a week just for you and all kinds of other perks. Another great way to support the channel is grab something from the Wi-File store. I grab yourself a Hecklefish t-shirt and then put that on and then get one of those Hecklefish festival mugs and stammy and stick your fist and jam it in there and then drink something delicious from it and then go and get a Hecklefish tugging squeezy tugging fish up plushy toy. That's going to do it. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated.